It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only, call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 93- one three eight one four five six seven or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com we hope you'll take out your bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of god's word on this edition of the virtual bible study good evening and welcome to the virtual bible study my name is greg Gwynn, and we welcome you to our weekly internet bible study program this is thursday night november the 13th you might notice that i'm sitting in the wrong chair i'm sitting behind all the controls over here and so uh we're going to have uh, some adventures no doubt and if you were already watching you just saw one of them we got a new person <laughs> behind the video camera too and uh, just about knocked the whole thing over so we're we're uh, experimenting as we go but hopefully we'll have a good hour of bible study we're glad that you're out there listening we want you to participate in what we're doing tonight on the virtual bible study jacob uh, uh who's the normal mc of all these businesses is uh, out of town tonight on business and so i'm running the controls and joining me for the discussion tonight is my good friend chris bates chris welcome to the virtual bible study thank you and thanks to the uh, elders for the opportunity to come and to work with you on this program Th- that uh, event by the way was uh, just something caused. I, I have a, a way of startling cameras. I was sneaking up on a glass of water here a minute. It's just a, not a pretty sight. It's just one of those deals. You, you and I both have faces made for radio. That's right. I have a perfect face for this. <laughs> for radio. But we're we're glad that uh, you're out there listening on the internet tonight. We hope that you'll participate. Remember that uh, our contact information is pretty easy to to recall. You can send us email, and we field our emails all throughout the program. The email address is questions at collegeview.com. Uh, also, you can send us or, or a phone call us. We've got a, a, a toll-free number, 1-877-381-4567. There it is on your screen, 1-877-381-4567. So questions at collegeview.com or 1-877-381-4567. We want to hear from you. For our discussion tonight, Chris and I put our heads together and kind of combined two topics that we think will be interesting to discuss. People have some ideas that they want to express, I'm sure, along these lines. Earlier today, to our update list, I sent out four questions. The first two deal with Satan. We want to talk about Satan. We want to talk about where he came from. Did God create him as evil? I asked these questions. Number one, where did Satan come from? And number two... Did God create Satan as the evil being we know him to be today? So where did Satan come from, and was he evil? Did God create evil, basically, is the question we want to deal with uh, there concerning Satan. Then later in the program, we're going to move the discussion to sort of a related topic about the Antichrist. What are some of the theories that you've heard about the Antichrist? There are some things going around right now where people are speculating about the Antichrist. We want to talk about the Antichrist. What are some of the theories you've heard about the Antichrist? And then in relationship to that question, we want to ask, who really is the Antichrist? Can we know? Can we identify him? Who is the Antichrist? What does the Bible say about that? So two parts to our study tonight, one about Satan, the other about the Antichrist, and we want you to get in on this discussion. So send us an email if you've not already done so and responded to these questions. Send us an email right away. We're, we're going to be fielding our emails all throughout the program, so we want to hear from you. But you can, best of all, get on the phone and call us toll-free, 877-381-4567, and you can get right on the program with us. We'd love to hear from you. Chris, what about these things? Don't you think that there's a good bit of interest uh, out there concerning these topics? Well, I think there is, and I think there has been for some time. Um, for years, I have seen religious programming uh, on television. Uh, I've heard preachers uh, of, of an, any number of walks in life uh, talk about these en- these things uh, by way of interest. There's no question but that people want to know the answer to the questions that we're going to be talking about tonight, and hopefully uh, we will make our appeal to the scriptures so that at the end of this program, we can know only what the scriptures uh, teach and and uh, convey to us. Peter said in 1 Peter 4.11 that whoever speaks is to do so as the oracles of God. Now, I say that because I don't think a lot of folks are doing that. 
with reference to these questions. That's right. There's an awful lot of just what you just have to call wild speculation going on. And we just don't engage in that on the virtual Bible study. We want Bible. We want book, chapter, and verse, or thus saith the Lord. Mm -hmm. If you can't prove it from the Bible, then you really can't prove it. There's no use talking about it. There's no use speculating about it. If it's not in the Bible and if you can't prove it from the Bible, we need to leave that alone. That that goes to the idea of 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 11, Chris, where Peter said, if any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. In other words, if you're going to talk about it, talk about it based on what God said. That's right, and we can't go beyond that. You know, If we start speculating beyond the realm of, of God's revealed will, then we, we are really doing the very thing John warned about. Uh, about going onward. You yeah. know, we don't want to do that. When it comes to the doctrine of Christ, we want to remain within the confines of that. Uh, we want to make sure that what we're saying lines up with what the apostles taught, what the Lord Jesus Christ taught, and what the Word of God reveals by way of the work of the Spirit. So that's what we want to do. You know, the, the uh, old restoration plea, which I think is still valid, is we speak where the Bible speaks and we're silent where the Bible is silent. That's a good rule to follow. It makes sense. You know, when we go beyond the Bible and start talking about our own ideas, our own speculations, our own opinions, well, mine's no better than yours, and yours is no better than the next guy. Well, that's right. There's no reason for anybody to listen to us if we're just voicing our own ideas. But if we're talking about the Word of God, then people have to listen because it's not us speaking, it's the Word of God speaking. And there is, again, the danger, there's always that ever-present danger of going too far and saying something that is not so. Uh, For instance, in Proverbs 30 and verse 5, the wise man there writes, and these are very uh, timely words. They were timely words when he penned them. They're timely words today. Every word of God is tested. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Do not add to his word or he will reprove you and you will be found a liar. Uh, and we know the fate of those whom God determines to be liars per Revelation 21 and verse 8, the lake of fire. Exactly right. Um, let's let's dis- dispatch one idea right from the start, Chris. And I want to talk about the idea that, that Satan is a real being. Right. There are some people, doubters, skeptics, uh, unbelievers, who have tried to say that Satan was sort of a superstitious invention of ignorant people who didn't have a good way to explain things that were going on. And so they just said, well, we'll call it this evil being. There's, ev- there's, this, there's this evil guy out there, uh, and they invented it in their mind to explain things they didn't understand. Satan's not real. That's the idea that some people would have us believe. I think the consequence of that would also have to reach to the fact, based on that assumption, that God is also not real. That, you know, if we have to come up with this, uh, this, this imaginary, okay, this is why things are going wrong, uh, this, is, this is why there's all of this evil, then you could take the same uh, line of logic and say, okay, by that same standard, we had to come up with uh, an explanation for why there are so many good things, uh, why there are so many wonderful uh, privileges that we we experience in life, or at least uh, you couldn't really call them blessings from a legitimate standpoint if you hold the view that, uh, well, this is the, you make these all of these extra biblical explanations for these things. So yeah. I think that the reverse would also have to be true, and I don't think that there's too many folks who want to fall well, into that. But what you just said is true. If Satan's not real, then God's not real either. That's right. Because God said Satan's real. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so if God is who he says he is, and if he is the being that we believe him to be, he he could not have lied to us about Satan. For instance, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 3, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil is a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. Now, obviously, speaking of him as a reality, a, a true being, uh, Paul said in 2 Corinthians 2.11, lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we're not ignorant of his devices. And then even Jesus himself, Jesus dealt directly with Satan. Remember the famous episode where he was tempted in Matthew chapter sure. 4? Mm-hmm. Well, is that real or not? And if, if Satan's not real, then, then that was just some kind of a make-believe fairy tale, and Jesus is a, a liar and a deceiver. Well, he, he mentioned Satan, at least by that description, a number of times in the accounts of the Gospels. And he knew, he knew that Satan was real. Others also knew that Satan was real. And I'll tell you, you know, this is one of the, this is one of the difficulties that we're going to face until the end of time. And here's why. And this is no one's fault. This is just this is one of those things that is um, all encompassed within the scope of God's wisdom. And here's what I mean. In Isaiah 55, God says through Isaiah the prophet, For my ways are not your ways, nor are my thoughts your thoughts, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my thoughts than your thoughts and my ways than your ways. 
we live in a different dispensation. We're in a gospel dispensation, the gospel dispensation, the final dispensation of man. And by reason of that and by reason of the completion of God's divine will, the, the revelation of God's word, we're not seeing the uh, miracles that were seen in the New Testament. Uh, and so there, what we're essentially doing is we're walking by faith and not by sight. So this is the, the struggle and the difficulty that we're having because people don't see with their eyes things that they're having to see by the eye of faith. Then because of that, there are, there are all these doubts and all these speculations. But I'll tell you, uh, you you're, you're either going to believe what we're saying on the basis of what the Scriptures teach and you're weighing that against that, or you're just going to dismiss that. And what I'll say about that is that for all who deny the existence of Satan but don't deny the existence of God, if there is such a person, uh, let me let me remind you that there were people who lived in a time when they actually laid eyes on the serpent. Adam and Eve laid eyes on the serpent uh, in in the Garden of Eden. They laid eyes on this individual, this being, and they conversed with this being, or at least Eve did. We have recollect we have a recording of of of, of Eve in a conversation with the serpent who was tempting her to do the very thing God said not to do. Now, this was a this was something she saw. Apparently, there there was and and Paul uh, understands the same thing when he writes in 2 Corinthians 11, a verse you alluded to a minute ago, uh, but before that saying that he was he was afraid for the Corinthians that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, he's making him a personal being, not some figure of your imagination. Yeah. And and again, the fact of the matter is that story of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, that is either a true story That's right. or it's just make-believe and God is, has has tried to dupe us all into believing something not so. I mean, you, you really don't have any options. You have to accept the reality of Satan or just deny the Bible's accuracy altogether. Now, having said that, so Satan's real. Then the big question becomes, where did he come from? Mm-hmm. And that's one of the questions that we asked to our update list earlier today. We got some feedback on it. We want your feedback, by the way. If you have not emailed us, do so. Questions at collegeview.com. Tell us where you think Satan came from and did God create him evil? That's what we're talking about here in the first part of our program. And then in the latter part of our program, we're going to get to the discussion about the Antichrist. Uh, we want to talk about that too. But what about where did Satan come from? Uh, our friend uh, Jim in Mount Pleasant, Tennessee, says he was part of that which God created. All right. So Jim says he was created being. Uh, Jonathan in Cookville, Tennessee, uh, says... Uh, well, he didn't really address that part of the question. I'm going to get to his answer here in a minute. He's got some good comments here. Johnny in Loretta, Tennessee, says, Originally, Satan was created by God as an angel in heaven. His name was Lucifer. His rebellion against God turned him into Satan. And he quotes Isaiah fourteen twelve: How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which did weaken the nations? And then he quotes Ezekiel twenty eight eleven through 19. Uh, tells the story of how he was originally a cherubim angel, he says. So we want to talk about that. For, I think I think Jim in Mount Pleasant has put us on to something that I, I believe we have to accept, and that is that God created Satan. Satan's a created being because God alone is eternal. That's the nature of God. He, the, the deity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, possess the attribute of eternal existence, no beginning, no end. They alone possess that quality. So from eternity unto eternity is the Godhead. Anything else, therefore, has to have been something that came along later, created by the Godhead. Satan has to be in that category of things created by God. Um, Genesis 1, notice how the Bible begins. Genesis 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the water. It talks about God. God was the 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 pre-existent thing. That which existed without cause was God. Nothing else holds that quality. In John chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. And so those verses actually, I think, explain to us that God alone has that eternal nature. Chris, any thoughts? Well, one of the to, to I think drive that further. Uh, deity does not pass judgment on deity. In other words, deity is not essentially holding its itself accountable in the in the same respect as deity holds 
created beings accountable. In other words, Jesus as God and the Holy Spirit as God and the Father as God, all working together uh, in, in an eternal fashion, uh, created in, in eternity. Uh, the I say created, but the, they had an eternal purpose. Uh, there was no creating there in respect to that the concept of, of the eternal purpose. Uh, but this comes from deity. Now, deity will pass judgment upon mortal man. Deity will pass judgment upon angelic beings. Yeah, uh, you, you hold know. that thought. Okay. Hold that thought. We're up to a break. We're going to talk about what happened if God created Satan. Did and I think that's we got to say that uh, only God, only deity is eternal. Psalm forty one. 13, blessed be the Lord God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting. That's God. Everything else is created. So God created Satan. Now, the big, big follow-up to that is, was he created as the evil being we know him to be today? We're going to get to that right after this break. Stay tuned. Get on the phone. Call us. Send us an email. Questions at collegeview.com. The phone number, 877-381-4567. We'll be right back. These guys are doing all of the talking. We need to hear from you. Call in now. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. I'm Greg Gwynn, a host of the Virtual Bible Study. Thanks for joining us for tonight's program. The Virtual Bible Study is presented weekly by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. Each week on the Virtual Bible Study, we simply engage in the study of God's Word in an effort to better understand it, better understand how God views us, and better understand what He wants from us in our lives. We're not studying any creeds. We're not studying any books written by men. We're just studying the Bible. And we're trying to study the Bible alone without any of our opinions or wisdom mixed in. We're only interested in what our Creator has revealed to us in his word. We realize that we're fallible and cannot direct our own steps. As a result, what we think or feel doesn't really matter. All that matters is what God has said. So that's what the virtual Bible study is all about. It's pretty simple, isn't it? Thanks again for joining us tonight, and we will hope you'll make plans to join us every Thursday night for the virtual Bible study. My name is Jack Coleman, a member of the College View Church of Christ. We're glad you're listening to the virtual Bible study, and we hope you'll tell others about the program. We're always open to your feedback concerning topics for discussion and suggestions as how we can make the program more effective. Drop us a line at questions at collegeview.com or call us toll-free at 877-381-4567. Missed a recent virtual Bible study program? Listen to any of our past programs from the archive section of our website. Now, back to the virtual Bible study. And we're back. Thank you for being out there listening tonight. By the way, you may have recognized that voice who just did that promo for us. That's Chris Bates. He's our real radio announcer voice on the virtual Bible study, and he's here live tonight. Chris, glad to have you here. Thank you. (laughs) We're talking about Satan. We have established the fact he's real and he's created. And so that leads us to the to, to the question: Did God make him evil? Now we already read um, from Johnny in Loretta, who says he believes that he was an a, an angel of God in heaven named Lucifer, and his rebellion against God turned him into Satan. Now that is a very common view, Chris. A lot of people believe that. Uh, we could go back to Isaiah 14 that Johnny mentioned. Before we do that, okay. uh, l- let me say one thing. For one thing, um, that Johnny said that doesn't necessarily mean that God made Satan evil, which is the question you're asking. Yeah. Uh, did God make Satan evil as we know him to be today? So what Johnny did say, while we're going we're gonna to review that, does not necessarily yeah. suggest that that is the case. That's right. That's that's right. We want to go to this idea was he originally created evil, but let's let's first talk about this idea okay. of him being a fallen angel, Chris. Right. Isaiah 14 verse 12 that that Johnny referenced. It says, here's how it reads. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which did weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Lots of people think that that verse is describing Satan and describing some sort of rebellion against God. I think we can dismiss that passage, and I think if you'll look at verse 4, if you've got your Bible open, if you want to make a marginal note, when you read those verses, we just read verses 12 through 14, make a marginal note back to verse 4, because Isaiah was told, Thou shalt take up this proverb against the king of Babylon, and say, How hath the oppressor ceased, the golden city ceased. This was a, a, a prophecy against the king of Babylon. Mm-hmm. 
and describing the fall of that great empire. This was not talking about Satan. Lucifer is not his name. And so just just remember that when that when the discussion comes up, that Isaiah 14, Lucifer, the fall of Lucifer is not a descriptive of the fall of Satan. His name is not Lucifer, and he did not, and he, and this doesn't describe his fall. Now, having said that, Chris, the New Testament gives us some insights, just a very brief insight to something about angels who sinned. Second mm-hmm. Peter two verse four says, "For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be preserved unto judgment." It goes on basically saying, "If He has judged these people in the past, He will judge us in the future." That's the basic argument that Peter was making. There. But he talks about angels that sinned and were cast down to hell, reserved for judgment. Jude six, Jude verse six says, "The angels which kept not their first estate." But left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under the darkness, under darkness, unto the judgment of the great day. Now, this talks about some angels, and notice it does. They didn't keep their first estate. Apparently, they well would that imply maybe a rebellion among angels? They didn't like where they were. They wanted something better, maybe. If that again goes to the idea of speculating. The scripture just that's all it says, but it it does talk about angels that sinned about angels that didn't keep their first estate and have been reserved in everlasting chains to the judgment of the great day. Then one more verse that talks about a possible warring among angels in heaven. Revelation 12, beginning verse 7, there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought and his angels and prevailed not. Neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceived the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Now, those are those are three verses that say some give some information. As I say, I think it's just a very brief glimpse and I don't think we have full information that allows us to draw positive conclusions, but it does talk about angels who sinned, angels who kept not their first estate. It does talk about a warring among angels in heaven. And so you could use those those verses say what they say. Uh, is that how Satan got his start? He was an angel, and he was maybe the ringleader of this rebellion in heaven, this warring in heaven. I don't think you can say that with, with definite certainty. There's some implication there. You might draw some reference from it, but I don't think you could say for certainty. Well, he's never referred to in, in any of that as an angel. There are others who are, but uh, the devil or the serpent being or the dragon being thrown out, it says the dragon and his angels in Revelation 12 and verse 7, that distinguishes him from angels. So that would that would exclude him from possibly being one. Uh, you know, I mean, he, as we would count an angel, it says the dragon he's and some his kind, angels. He's that clearly, would be like that would be like saying Jesus and his angels. Uh, is Jesus an angel? The, the, here we we don't have him described as an angel. I'm not comparing Christ to, to Satan now. Don't misunderstand that. I'm saying that he is not referred to as that. And if we refer to him that way, we're going to have to admit that it is without scriptural precedent. I mean, there there is no scripture that suggests. Satan was an angel. Now, there's another thing about this Revelation 12 business without getting too far off the subject. This book is written in highly figurative language, and to say that uh, is is an understatement. And we're not trying to discredit at all the book of Revelation. It is included by the providence of God in the canon of Scripture. But, but, but is, Revelation is describing spiritual warfare, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, yes. and it, we may be making way too much out of that if That's we right. try to make it literal. Well, here's here, one thing that we we got we've got to hammer this home for everybody. When you're studying the Bible, there's something so important to remember and to understand, and that is to keep things in context. You have to keep everything you study in context. And when you think about the Book of Revelation, there is a context around that book. Now, there is discussion as to when the book was written. We know it was written in the first century. As to whether or not it was written earlier in the first century, like around before the destruction of Jerusalem, or later during the Roman power, especially during the Roman power and the persecution of Christians, there's a great debate about that. But what there cannot be a debate about is the first verse of this of this whole book, and that is the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show 
his bondservants the things which must soon take place. That word soon is the same word as is translated quickly in Acts 12. The King James says shortly. Okay, shortly, when Peter was told by the angel in prison to get up quickly. Uh, that gives a, at least some indication of the time frame of the book of Revelation, that this is not a book of uh, what we would call a future events as to the end of time as we see it, uh, so to speak. And what I mean by that is we're, we're not seeing in, in this day and time all of these things being fulfilled. This has been taught for years. Uh, there, a great bit of the book of Revelation was fulfilled by the end of the first century or at least at least by the the turn of the first century uh, on on into the a few of the maybe a decade or so but uh, the 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 other things that are not fulfilled obviously the judgment uh, has not been brought about according to the revelation letter and and that is in keeping with the rest of scripture but this is a book that is highly figurative and to try to apply literal meanings to these passages as if to say this Satan is a dragon. You know, I mean, this is descriptive language. I heard well, it's, you... it's, it's 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 figurative language, and it's talking about a spiritual warfare that right. goes on, and we know it's going on. We're we're involved in that spiritual warfare, mm-hmm. but to try and say that it was literally describing a battle mm-hmm. among angelic beings in heaven, I think is. I, I'm I'm unwilling to go there, so I think we're going to have to leave the the answer to that question is uncertain. Okay. I will I will acknowledge, and I and I'm glad that Johnny brought this up in in his answer. I will acknowledge that there is at least some basis for some of those considerations, but I don't believe that there's enough information to be able to draw a a firm and positive conclusion. I do think we can say Satan was created. Was he a fallen angel? I'm not sure, but now. Let's talk about this. What if God created him? Did He create him as evil? Let me read a couple of answers that we've got here. Well, let me add just okay. one thing. Okay. Very quickly, was he a fallen angel? You say we're not sure. Well, we can say absolutely not on the basis of Isaiah 14. Absolutely not on the basis of Isaiah 14, because Isaiah 14 is addressing the king of Babylon. Oh, yeah, we so know that has true. absolutely nothing to do with the situation with Satan. Uh, he, uh, The king of Babylon is referred to there as Lucifer, or as the New American Standard, from which I, I study, uh, refers to him as, O star of the morning, O son of the dawn. That's yeah. what he's referred to there. That is the king of Babylon. Yeah. Keeping this in context... And we've got to get to Ezekiel 28, too, at some point, because uh, that was addressed, that was brought up in, yeah. that, in that email. But go ahead. Go, go over that. Be ready to comment on that in a minute, Chris. Let's talk about was he evil from his creation. Johnny, I want to go ahead and give Johnny's answer. I think he makes a good point. He says, yes and no. Satan did the evil himself, thus making himself evil. However, the Bible tells us that God, God created evil. He quotes, and this is a verse we hear fairly often. <laughs> You're going to make me cough here. <laughs> Isaiah 45, verse 7, I form the light and create darkness. I make peace and create evil. I, the Lord, do these things. He says, God didn't set out to create evil. God creates evil simply by being good. For example, when God makes a law of good, such as honor thy father, disobeying this law thus creates evil. This is how we know God creates evil, by being good. I, I don't know if I would say it the same way that, that uh, is Johnny said. Is there a scripture said, reference on that? Uh, Isaiah 45, 7. I don't know if I would say it the same way that Johnny did, but I think I agree with his conclusion. I, I would probably say it more like Jonathan in Cookville, Tennessee says. Here's what Jonathan in Cookville, Tennessee says. He says, um, I believe in answer to the question, did God create an evil? He says, I have heard many times that if God is so perfect, why does he allow evil? Or others have asked that if God created everything, how could he create evil? This has been my response. God is love and the most pure example and he is the most pure example of true love. True love demands love in return. Therefore we were created to love God. However, if God forced us to love him, then it would not be true love. He had to give us free will that allowed us the option to not love him. Evil is the result of not loving God. The devil was an angel. Now he, he's saying that certainly we're not. I'm not willing to say that as certainly. But he goes on to say de- the the devil was an angel who simply chose not to love God. Here's another way to think of this: There's no such thing as darkness. It is simply the absence of light. There's no such thing as cold. It's simply the absence of heat. I conclude that evil is simply the absence of the love for God. I like that description. So I, th- this is my answer too: that that God 
gave free will. He gives us free will. He gave the angels in heaven, apparently, from what we read. He yes. gave the angels in heaven yeah. a free will to either obey him or disobey him. Mm-hmm. When we choose or when they chose to disobey, that is evil. So evil comes about from the fact that God instructed us to do what's right when we choose not to do that. By our choice, by our free will, then evil results. This is, again, I don't want to be redundant. Excuse me. But when when we're talking about a subject like this especially, we've got to keep things in context. When we begin to talk about God creating evil, and of course, you know, I'm not denying what the Scripture says, but, uh, you know, it, it is, I think, wise if you can take my advice in studying your Bible to study from more than one translation. I realize there are a lot of folks who are dedicated to a particular translation. They They are convinced that one or the other is the best, and I understand that. But that doesn't, <clears throat> excuse me, that doesn't uh, change the fact that we should consult other translations in our studies and see if perhaps a word was translated more accurately. When we're talking about God creating evil, <clears throat> excuse me again, I'm sorry, uh, was we're talking about God creating evil, keep that in context. What? Where do we find the statement? We just noticed Isaiah 45. That begins, that statement is in a, in a seven-verse flow of thought where God says, thus says the Lord to Cyrus, his anointed. Okay, he's speaking again to a king, Cyrus, his anointed. Notice, whom I have taken by the right hand to subdue nations before him. This is, this is his purpose. This is what he's going to do with Cyrus. Now, verse 7, the one forming light and creating darkness. Uh, he, he said just before that, I am the Lord. I am the Lord. There is no other. The one forming light and creating darkness, causing well-being and creating calamity. Uh, or creating evil as one translation. I am the Lord who does all these. This it causes is a, the calamity. This is in a context of subduing nations, of causing. And he again, brings calamity. He brings good upon nations, and right. he brings calamity the, upon nations. This is not. This is not the same idea as creating sin. Exactly. Evil right. and sin. This uh, is not the same idea, and we have to keep this in context. Exactly right. We're up against a break. We're going to take it. We're going to come back. We're going to wrap up this discussion of Satan, and we're going to move to the Antichrist. Be sure to stay tuned and get involved. Send us an email or give us a phone call. We'll be right back after this break. Enjoying the virtual Bible study? Email a friend during this break and tell them to join in on the discussion. There's more exciting Bible study after this commercial. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's Bullet Point. When songwriter Isaac Watts wrote the beautiful song, At the Cross, he had obviously never heard or read anything from the currently popular self-esteem crowd. The first verse of the song goes like this. Alas, and did my Savior bleed, and did my Sovereign die? Would he devote that sacred head for such a worm as I? The politically correct police would surely object to Watts's reference that we are but mere worms. Instead, they would argue that we are special and valuable. Our worth, they claim, is reflected in the fact that God sent his son to die for us. Certainly, we're not worms. This idea that our value is shown by Christ's sacrifice is a gross and awful perversion of Scripture. Jesus did not die on the cross because we are so wonderful. Instead, it was necessary for him to suffer that terrible torture because we are so miserable. Paul wrote in Romans 5 verse 8 that God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It was our sins that required his death, not our virtue or worth or wonderfulness. The very thought of this should humble us. There's nothing here that should serve to inflate our self-esteem. But, someone objects, doesn't Jesus' death on the cross show that God loves us? Yes, of course, it abundantly shows this. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved. Ephesians 2, verses 4 and 5. This is the lesson to be learned. God had limitless love for unlovable, awful sinners. The demonstration of his love through Jesus should cause us to proclaim his wonderfulness, not our own. There's no need to artificially boost our self-esteem. What we need is a humble heart that leads us to obey his will. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. My name is Rick Harris, and I love to listen to the virtual Bible study. I hope you'll join me and many others in this weekly Internet Bible study group. Be sure to listen every Thursday night. Share your comment with the world. Call in now and be a part of the virtual Bible study. Now, back to the program. And we're back. I almost <laughs> forgot to turn us on, Chris. We're back, uh, and we continue our discussion about Satan, his origin. Did God create him as evil? We're going to talk about the Antichrist here in just a minute. Uh, I think Jim, our friend Jim in Mount Pleasant is on the mark. He said, did God create Satan as the evil being we know him today? 
He says, I believe he was created as all are with the ability to make choices. Sadly, he determined to make evil choices. You know, here's an interesting verse, Chris. We said God created only, only God is eternal. The Godhead, only the Godhead three are eternal. Right. Notice Genesis 1, 31. God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. So God didn't create him evil. He created him good. Everything, mm-hmm. every single thing God created was good. That's what that verse says. We've got to believe it. First uh, uh, John chapter 1, verse 5 says, This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If there's mm-hmm. no darkness, God, God couldn't have created that Satan as the evil being is today. It would contradict the nature of God. God is light. In him is no darkness at all. Right. So God created him as good. He's that, created. He, he had to have been created good. Therefore, he had to have made evil choices to disobey God and became evil because of his choice. And his, that, that would extend even to the concept of total hereditary depravity, uh, the idea that we're born in sin, just born evil. Uh, you know, if if it is true that we're born with a free will, that man has a free will and can choose to do what is right or wrong, why is it not equally true that angels, uh, even even Satan at that point, had the same opportunity? In Ecclesiastes 7.29, Solomon writes, if, if he be the writer, Behold, I, I've, I've found only this, that God made men upright, but they have sought out many devices. Uh, that is that is an indication of the free will of man to to choose to do whatever it is he should like to do. Real quick, before we end this discussion of Satan, I want you to go to Ezekiel 28. Yes. Because Johnny also mentioned that as a verse that talks about uh, Satan as a fallen angel. Yes. You got a comment there? Yeah. In in, in uh, Ezekiel 28 again, we, we're, what this is is referencing, uh, I think the specific passage that he's talking about is the idea of the anointed cherub that covers. If you'll go through, uh, you've got, he, he mentioned verses 11 through, I think, uh, 20. 20. Okay. Yeah. Uh, there, there is one particular through passage 19, in yeah. verse 14 there. You were the anointed cherub who covers, and I, place you there, I placed you there. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked in the midst of stones of fire, so on and so forth. Go back again. What did we say earlier? Context. Context. Who is speaking and who is being spoken to? God is speaking, and to whom is he speaking? In verse 11, and the word of the Lord came to me saying, this is Ezekiel now, yeah. came to me saying, Son of man, take up a lamentation over the king of Tyre right. and say to him, thus says the Lord God. This is God's description of the king of Tyre. <laughs> the, the whole chapter, even going back to chapter, uh, in the same chapter 28, verses 1 and 2, uh, the Lord of God came to me again saying, Son of man, say to the prince of Tyre, thus yeah. says the Lord God. So this is... That's not a statement about Satan, and it's and not describing the origin of Satan. Interestingly enough, the next section there is a, is a, is a lamentation, so to speak, against uh, Sidon. Uh, remember, Jesus mentioned these two uh, in his ministry, saying that it would be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for this people, uh, because if they had heard the preaching that he was doing, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth you know, and whatnot. So th- this he... he uh, he referenced Tyre and Sidon in his ministry, interestingly enough, and these two are, are put together here. They're juxtaposed here. But again, who is being spoken to? God is speaking to Ezekiel and telling him to take up this lamentation against the king of Tyre. These are descriptions of the king of Tyre. This is how God so, described him in his, I'm really in, in glad, his splendor. I'm really glad Johnny brought up those passages because they are the ones that are often used. Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28, and contextually they don't work. So just remember that. I mean, it's it. Uh, <coughs> people try to tie that into a discussion of the creation of, of Satan, uh, but it doesn't work. Or where Satan came from, he was a fallen angel. So what do we know? <coughs> Boy, no, you got me coughing, Chris. <coughs> We're really in bad shape here. Uh, just to summarize what we've talked about, Satan's real. No right. doubt about that. Just right. no doubt about that. If the Bible means anything, if the words of the Bible mean anything at all, Satan's a real being. Sure. He was a created being. Mm-hmm. Only the Godhead is eternal. Therefore, Satan is a created being. Right. God is light. In him is no darkness at all. Everything. Genesis one thirty one. everything he made was good. He didn't make Satan evil. But he made Satan with free choice. Like he, We know the angels of heaven have free choice because some of them chose to sin. We have free choice. And many men choose to sin. We all choose to sin at some point with the exception of Jesus. And so... Satan is a real being created of God. He chose to disobey God, and in the process of that choice, he became evil. Mm-hmm. That's what we know. We know those things. That's right. And we say that with certainty. You know, Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy uh, 29, 29 says the secret things belong to God. 
And so there are some things we're just not going to know as, as, as to why doesn't God just end all of this right now? Um, well, the, the answer I have for that may not satisfy some people, but I know that Second Peter 3, 9 says that the Lord is willing that uh, all come to repentance, but not that all perish. He doesn't want any to perish, but all to come to repentance. Now, there's going to be a time in his infinite wisdom when, uh, when time on this earth is no more and he sends his son. But, uh, you know, look, as for a specific answer, why doesn't God defeat Satan now? Why doesn't he just destroy him, get it all out of the way, get evil out of the world? Look, the secret things belong to God. There is an eternal purpose in place and there is a, a, and, a sequence of events in place. And that, God continues to allow free choice. That's right. And as long as there's free choice, there will be men who choose to do that's wrong. That's right. That's all right. right. All right. We're going to go now to our second part of our question. We've got a few minutes here before our final break. We want to introduce this. Uh, Chris, you are here tonight as the resident expert on all things Antichrist. <laughs> uh, so we're going to ask these questions and, and get some feedback. What are some of the theories that you've heard about the Antichrist, and who do you believe the Antichrist is? Jim in Mount Pleasant says, I have a friend who thinks that the Antichrist is his mother-in-law. <laughs> uh, he didn't say that he thinks that his mother-in-law is the Antichrist. He says his friend says that. Uh, uh, I want to clarify that, that. that. That's a theory. There's a theory sure, for you. I've not heard that one. Tell us a little bit about what you know concerning some of the theories that are floating around. Well, I've been hearing it for a long time. I've taken special interest in this subject only, and I'm not I'm not the resident expert, but I've taken interest in the subject because uh, I used to be very fascinated with the concept. You all dealt with premillennialism not long ago here on the program and uh, the end of time events and things of that nature as to what, what folks are saying. Uh, inevitably, in a discussion like that, someone's going to mention the idea of the Antichrist. And so where do we go in the Bible to learn about the Antichrist and all of that? But there are a number of theories that are floating around out there. Uh, one, one such theory that is floating around out there is that the Antichrist uh, is in Europe. Hal Lindsey, several years ago on 60 Minutes, said that the – and this is, this is really something. You ought, to, you ought to get your mind around this. Uh, Hal Lindsey said that the Antichrist is alive and well, that he's in Europe, but only – not only did Hal Lindsey, who knew that the Antichrist was in Europe, not know who the Antichrist was, the Antichrist himself didn't know who it was. Didn't know that well, he, he was, was. He was there, but he he, he, didn't, didn't, he didn't know. He, oh wow! I mean, that was that was Hal Lindsey's theory. Now that 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 is one of those deals where you ought to back him and say, why why should I even believe anything this guy says? Yeah, why does that matter he, then? He, he he follow this again. Hal Lindsey says that the Antichrist is alive and well in Europe, and he knows that the Antichrist is alive and well. He knows. That, but he doesn't know who it is, and neither does the Antichrist know who it is. Now, isn't that something? That that is not anything like any prophet of the New Testament at all. I mean, the, or the Old Testament for that matter. Another very popular theory about the Antichrist, uh, and this is floating around in emails. I get this email on a regular basis, and I got an email. Um, it's it's hard to get into this discussion without getting into a political discussion. We'll try to keep that from happening. But I got an email just uh, several months ago, and it continues to come to my email box to this day about uh, the Antichrist and a theory regarding the Antichrist. And one of the theories is this, and it, it, that the Antichrist will be a forty a man in his forties of Muslim faith that he will reign for a period of about 42 months per Revelation 13.5, which makes that about the length of a four-year term of presidency, which now makes the Antichrist an American, or at least a president, uh, a, 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 either a sitting president or a future president. And you can be sure that this email that is going around is, is essentially attached to the concept that the, the current president-elect, Barack Obama, uh, is the Antichrist. Yeah, I've and, heard that plenty of times on talk radio. There, it, it comes up pretty frequently. As you say, mm-hmm. this this email has been circulating because Barack Obama is in his 40s. He's of Muslim mm-hmm. descent, and he, he will reign for at least four years, uh, 48 you know, months, but maybe 42 before the next election, 42 months or so before the – boy, I'm telling you, that's, that's – uh, uh, Taking some real liberties with the scriptures. Where does it say the Antichrist will be a man in his forties? Where does it say that in the Bible? Well, the, according to the email, the the uh, the statement is found in the Book of Revelation. It's not. It's not in the Book of Revelation. Nowhere in the Bible is the statement made that the Antichrist will be in his forties. That the Antichrist will be of Muslim descent or Muslim faith, uh, of a Muslim disposition. Never is the term Muslim ever used. Never is the term Islam ever used. From Genesis to Revelation, now, that's an interesting position to take uh, when you've got sixty-six books that 
make up the whole of Scripture, and not one of them says anything about Muslims or Islam uh, or, uh, for that matter, naming by name Barack you know, Obama. You know why Islam is not mentioned in the Bible? It didn't come along That's until right. 600 years after the New Testament was completed. Absolutely. So, now, uh, you know, if, if the uh, let me say this as we're building on this point. If the Antichrist were limited... And I don't want to give away too much of our of our discussion here. If the Antichrist were limited to one particular person, one particular person, then why couldn't the New Testament prophets be as specific about naming the Antichrist as the Old Testament prophets were about kings that were years down the road? Like, That's for right. instance, Cyrus. That's exactly uh, right. Uh, Isaiah named Cyrus... What almost two, about, about two hundred fifty years? Almost two hundred years before, yeah, he, yeah before and, he came along. Gave him his not didn't just say he'd be king of Persia. He gave his name, right? Gave him by name. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Uh, and that that was just one of many occasions where something like that took place. Yeah. And you know why couldn't why can't the New Testament prophets? So we got to take our final break here, and we're going to come back to this discussion. But let's just dismiss out of hand the idea that we can identify Barack Obama as the Antichrist. Right. Look, I'll, I'll, that's just not biblical. There's no way you could make that conclusion no, from the Bible. No, no, absolutely not. And I feel compelled to say this so that no one thinks that I'm trying to take up for Barack Obama for political purposes. Uh, he is the current president-elect. There's no question about that. Uh, the fact that I do not support his policies, the fact that I do not agree with him on political issues, does not make him the Antichrist. And the fact that there's an email floating around out there from someone who has a real axe to grind maybe on the basis of race, uh, does not make it so that Barack Obama is, anti- is the, <coughs> the Antichrist per se. The fact that Barack Obama, uh, whether or not he denies this, uh, is at least of some disposition to accept the Muslim faith. Uh, from his own mouth, I heard him say uh, that he was not attacked for his Muslim faith, although he was corrected when he said that. The, 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 regardless of that, does not make him the Antichrist. We're going to come back and try to get all that the Bible says we talked about basically we've just talked about speculation so far chris unfounded speculations we're going to look to the bible what does the bible actually say right. about the antichrist when we come back we want to hear from you what do you think who is the antichrist is he here today is he identifiable could we put a finger on him and know that he is the man let us know what you think send us an email questions at collegeview.com or call us 877-381-4567 we'll be right back to go to the top of the hour are you listening There's going to be a test on this stuff. Stay tuned. The virtual Bible study will be right back after this. Hi, I'm Anthony Petrochko, a member of the College View Church of Christ. Thanks for listening to the virtual Bible study. We want to remind you that our website, www.collegeview.com or www.thevirtualbiblestudy.com, has lots of valuable study tools available for your use. First, you can find archives of all our past programs there. We've covered a wide variety of topics, including doctrinal issues, moral and ethical questions, and many things related to living daily as a Christian. And while we don't have a search engine option on our website, remember that you can hit Control-F and type in a keyword. You'll then see that keyword highlighted on the page. For instance, if you hit Control-F and typed in the word worship, you'd find these past programs that we've conducted. Does it matter how we worship? What about contemporary worship and hand clapping? Our worship, pleasing to God or pleasing to man, and instrumental music in worship. That's just an example, but you get the idea as to how the webpage can be used to help in your study of various subjects. Also remember that we have copies of our church bulletin on the website, and these bulletins include articles on hundreds of topics. You'll also find some recorded sermons, some Bible tracts, as well as information about the College View Church. So be sure to check out the valuable resources on our website. Again, the address is collegeview.com or thevirtualbiblestudy.com. And thanks again for listening to the Virtual Bible Study. Be sure to tell others. My name is Cole, and I'm eight years old. My name is Thomas, and I'm seven years old. And our families love to listen to the Virtual Bible Study. Broadcasting around the world with truths that are out of this world. The Virtual Bible Study. Take it away, guys. And we're right back. Chris, you're one of the guys. Yeah, you're just too weird. <laughs> Introducing yourself right there. Uh, we're talking about the Antichrist right now. We earlier in the program discussed Satan and his origin. To, right now, we want to spend the rest of our time, and we're running out of time, but we've got time to take a call from you or an email. We're talking about the Antichrist. Real quick, Chris, got an email that's come in from Hunter here in Columbia who asked, does the pentagram, uh, the satanic or Antichrist sign, have any special meaning or significance? Just wondering, he says. 
It has no biblical significance. No. There's nothing in the Bible about it at all. That's just something that's been, been invented by men. It's been around for a long time, but it's been invented by men uh, as they have engaged in occult practices primarily. And, and there are, if you can imagine it, there are people in the world who worship Satan. And, and so they're all involved in evil. They've made, they've made a, a, a specific choice to go against God and to, in, in a blasphemous way, worship Satan who opposes God. And, and, uh, the pentagram is one of their symbols. I mean, different groups have different symbols that mean different things. And to the occult people, to the Satan worshipers, the pentagram has a significance, but it's certainly not founded in the Bible. Well, you know, I, I guess I, I would hate to burst the bubble of those who would be considered devil worshipers, but the devil pays less attention to them and more attention to Christians. So, I mean, you that's know, right. On, you the other, on the other hand, God pays more attention, you know, to those who pray to Him who are righteous by His standards yeah. than, than, you know, we know that He doesn't hear sinners. John nine thirty one. So the Satan is, it doesn't care about them. Yeah, well, you know, that's one of the things we try to warn Christians about. We are in Satan's bullseye. He's got the rest of the world where he wants them. Right. He doesn't have to worry about them, and so he's working hard to get us. Sure. Exactly right. Okay, now, let's talk about, we we were talking before the break about what has been speculated about the Antichrist. Chris, tell us about what the Bible actually says about that. I I guess as much as we're hearing about it, the the term Antichrist must be found on almost every page of the New Testament, isn't it? You would think it was, (laughs) uh, and especially on every page of the Revelation letter. Uh, But, you know, there, there are essentially, as far as I can tell, there are four passages in the New Testament which address specifically the Antichrist and the concept. And the first one is 1 John chapter 2 and verse 18. And the New American Standard there reads, Children, it is the last hour, and just as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, listen to this, even now many Antichrists have appeared. From this we know that it is the last hour. Now that was written 2,000 years ago. And John says that this is the last hour. So that's peculiar to a thought that he has and what he's the writing about. King James about. there says is the last time. The last time. Okay, so it's, again, it's peculiar yeah. uh, to what that is and to the, to the scope of time that we're looking at there uh, 2,000 years ago. That's one text which says the, the Antichrist is coming. Even now, he says, many, many Antichrists Look at have that. appeared. How, isn't that amazing? Even now, right now, John's writing in right. the first century, and he says, even now, there is not the Antichrist. Right. He says, there are many, many Antichrists. Many Antichrists. And, and everybody who talks about today is talking about a single individual who comes along here some 2,000 years after. And John says, in the first century, <laughs> there wasn't just one, there That's were right. many Already in existence there. right then. Already there. He does it again in the same book in, in a, in a Chapter just a two few, over, well, but uh, but here in, in in verse twenty two in yeah. the same in the same chapter he says, "Who is the liar? But the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ. This is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son." And then watch this, verse twenty three. Whoever that ties into verse twenty two, whoever denies the Son does not have the Father. The one who confesses the Son has the Father also. Whoever is anyone who denies, uh, as in that context, whoever denies the Father or denies the Son does not have the Father. This is in connection with who is the liar but the one who denies that Jesus Christ it's is the a Son lie. of God. If you deny that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, you are a liar. And he says this is the and Antichrist. And you are Antichrist. Just think about the literal meaning of the word. It means an opponent of Christ. Is what and it so means. if you deny that Jesus is the Son of God, you oppose him. You mm-hmm. are an opponent of his. You are Antichrist. In 1 John 4 and verse 3, here's the other reference. And this, again, makes reference to the present nature. When I say present nature, at the time of the writing of this book, at the time of the writing of the first first epistle that John wrote, Verse 3, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, listen to this, of which you have heard that it is coming, and now it is already in the world. Now, to again, put a context around this, there were not differing denominations. And the Church of Christ, by the way, is not a denomination, nor is it made up of denominations. There were not differing denominations in the first century. There was the church, and there were other religious groups that would deny the movement of the gospel or the preaching of the gospel. But the miracles that were being performed in the first century were for the express purpose of confirming the word that was being preached. Now, any spirit that would come along and say, well, I don't believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God, uh, even denying that fact on the basis of the resurrection from the dead and on the basis of these miracles that confirm this message was not from God. This is not 
comparable to today when a number of religious people accept that concept but do not submit to the will of Christ. So it doesn't, it's not comparable. Nevertheless, uh, in the context of the first century, when John writes this, he says that every spirit that does not confess Jesus Christ is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist of which you've heard that it is coming, and now it is already in the world. And one more place, Chris, Second John, verse 7 for many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. An antichrist. Did you notice in all those verses, not a single time did it say the antichrist? It never used the definite program, well, the, the, the antichrist. Unfortunately, the, the New American Standard does. But oh. the context will determine that it is not one person, one right. person per se. And so, uh, you know, that... that it, it will help us understand that. So even if the term the, the definite article, is there, the context helps us to determine what's under consideration. So what do we know about the Antichrist, about, we, about the spirit of Antichrist, about ant, being Antichrist? Okay. What do we know? It's an opponent of Christ. It is a deceiver. It is a liar. Uh, it says he's it was, a liar. It was, it was present in the first century. He denies the, he denies the deity of Jesus Christ, denies that Jesus has come in the flesh. He doesn't have the Father. He's a deceiver. Uh, so th- those characteristics can apply to how many billions well, well, not, of people not today? Not only Satan, not only Satan, not, but it, to it, man. You, it would apply to Satan, right? Satan That's is right. Antichrist. Satan is certainly Antichrist. But the world today is full of literally billions of men who are antichrist. Well, consi- that's right. Consider this. When you think about him being a denier, I don't necessarily mean to try to go through all of these uh, characteristics, but denier. Um, in, in Matthew 10, Jesus said, whoever, in verse 32, whoever confesses me before men, I will confess him before my Father who is in heaven, but whoever denies me before men. There's a, there, there's, that seems to be the exact opposite. Now watch this. Whoever denies me before men, I'll deny him before my Father who is in heaven. The one who denies Jesus is the Christ has the spirit of the Antichrist or is Antichrist. Go back there to John chapter 12 and verse 42 and read about the rulers there who who were uh, believing in Christ, but because of the Pharisees, they were not confessing him. That's the equivalent of a denial for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue for they love the approval of men more than the approval of God. They were no different than those who denied that Jesus is the Christ. They were not willing to confess him even though they believed in him, and one who believes in him uh, ought to have the courage and fortitude to stand up for him but these folks did not they believed but they didn't have the faith or the the uh, conviction or courage to stand up for uh, the christ the son of god they were anti-christ okay they were just like people today are exactly right so we, we could identify a whole lot of people we could identify satan and a whole lot of people as being anti-christ and there's no indication that this descriptive was of a single individual who would come along some 2,000 years after Jesus lived. Rising to power. That's right. There's no. There's also no uh, – you alluded to this, but we should definitely say it. The, the term Antichrist is not even found in the book of Revelation. Everybody wants to tie in the, the book of Revelation and speculations about what the book of Revelation is talking about, end-time things, and it's really not talking about end-time things. book mm-hmm. of Revelation primarily talking about things that happened in the first century. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they try to tie it into the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation doesn't even mention the term Antichrist. Right. Uh, there is one other passage, but I don't think it has anything to do with what we're talking about here. In Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3, let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first, that the man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. A lot of people want to tie that into the Antichrist. I don't think that's talking about the Antichrist. It's certainly talking about those who would oppose God and his kingdom on earth. I believe there may be some specific literal fulfillment of that prophecy of Paul, but it's not talking about the Antichrist. No, I don't think so either. And I think that uh, I think that maybe about 500 years after that was written, there was probably a pretty good fulfillment of yeah, that. Yeah, sort of like when the Pope of Rome came along. Yeah, yeah. that's right. 606 yeah. AD. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and, and if you think about the Pope of Rome, 
that descriptive there fits awfully well. It sure does. So, uh, again, summarize what we know and don't know about the Antichrist. Okay, we know that he's a deceiver. We know that he is a liar. We know that he was present in the first century. We know that he is present today. We know it is present today that the Antichrist is not limited to one person, never has been, never will be. The Antichrist, per se, is not promised in the book of Revelation to be ruling over the country of America. America is not mentioned in the book of Revelation, nor is the Antichrist mentioned in the book of Revelation. Or Muslims. Or Muslims. The Antichrist is not even hinted at as being one particular person or a ruler, but simply an opponent of Christ. And Christ has many opposers. Exactly right. Well, we're out of time, Chris. Certainly appreciate your participation on the program tonight. Always glad to have you here. Thanks for coming. And uh, we want to thank all of you who've been listening live to our program tonight. We appreciate your interest in the virtual Bible study and the things that we discuss here. We want you to come back. Make it a regular appointment. You know, Chris, you can set your cell phone to have a weekly alarm. It goes off just on a certain day at a certain time of the week. If you have trouble remembering to turn your computer on on Thursday night, set your weekly alarm to go off about 10 minutes before the virtual Bible study starts at 8 o'clock Central Time and turn your pro, turn the computer, turn the TV off. That's right. And turn the computer on and get your family gathered around. Let's have Bible study right here on the internet. Use your computer for something good. Maybe you guys should have a cell phone database here so that you can send text messages, a mass text message. Maybe that's to what people. we need to do. Turn on the internet. Thanks for listening tonight. Lord willing, we'll be back next Thursday. Thursday night. Uh, mark your calendars. Be a part of the virtual Bible study. Until that time, read your Bible, study it, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the virtual Bible study tonight. Thanks for listening to the virtual Bible study brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 930 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.